created for all parents from all walks of life. Let's face it, when children are born, they do not come with a guidebook. In fact, we don't know step one, step two, or step three, and we make a lot of mistakes. But this podcast here will provide parental tips for home and school supports. Remember, it takes a village to raise a child, and you are a possible parent. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe, and also share with all of your friends and family. Sit back and enjoy. Calling all possible parents. I am so excited that you are joining me for season one during episode four. And today we are going to be unpacking a question. What type of equity practices are necessary to promote positive parent engagement in large urban school districts? So this topic is so close to home for me because I am an elementary principal in a large urban school district. And so I often wondered about parent engagement and how to promote positive parent engagement to see more of our um, parents come into the school and, and support the student's success. And so let's think about it, parents, grandparents, soon to be parents, or just parents from the sidelines. How often are you engaged in school activities? Is it during the annual bake sales? You contribute that $20 to purchase snacks to indulge in and you feel guilty about them later. Or maybe it's joining the PTA at the beginning of the year and we don't quite get around to attending the meetings. And so I was conducting some research to help my own practice and I stumbled upon Dr. Karen Mapp, and she says there are four core beliefs that all educators should have about parents, but the most important of the four is that all parents have dreams for their children and want the best for them. Assuming that all families want the best for their children is the first step in cultivating and maintaining strong partnerships. But in order to create this whole notion of equity in our schools, as educators, we must discover which school we represent. And so this became very interesting to me because according to Dr. Mapp, there are actually four different types of schools. And so I want you to imagine these four different types of schools in your mind. The different types of schools are, number one, a fortress school. So you can think of it as a school like a castle, and then it has like this fortress going around it. This is where parents are not welcomed. The school believes the parent belongs at home. (laughs) And then there's this um, come if we call school. So just imagine a telephone. Parents are welcome when the school calls them. But the school feels as though the parent, you know, they can't really offer much, not much support. And then she also suggests this third type of school, which is an open door school. 
So the school works hard to get as many parents in the school as possible for events. They do flyers, they post on social media, they do um, global phone calls, they may greet the parents at the door when they pick their children up and say, hey, we're having a program. And they work so hard to get as many parents in the school as possible for events. And you might think in your head, yes, that's a great school. But then there's this last school and it's the partnership school. There is the belief that families and community members, they definitely have something to offer. And the school works extremely hard to do whatever they can to maintain the partnerships to make sure every student succeeds. So educators, think about this. If you're listening, which type of school are you? Parents, which type of school does your child attend? Is it a fortress school? Come if we call school, open door school, or partnership school? Listeners, did you know most recently that every school, every student succeed act contains a subtle difference from previous legislation when it comes to connecting families with schools? This whole phrase parental involvement has been changed to family engagement. If you're not familiar, in 2015, our then president Barack Obama replaced the No Child Left Behind Act to hold schools accountable to student achievement. As a result of this change, schools now have to think of innovative ways to include their parents in the planning process in their districts as well as in their individualized schools. Parents are now legally mandated to sit at the table. That's right. They sit at the table and help make decisions at the school level. The focus for this change is more relevant in schools that are considered disadvantaged. And so we know history shows in more affluent suburban schools, they have more parental engagement. They have thriving PTAs as opposed to our inner city schools where PTAs are virtually obsolete or you don't really see parents coming into the school or it's a constant struggle to get parents to come in for parent-teacher conferences. And someone might say, you know, as a parent, why does it matter if I come to the school? Why does it matter if I'm sitting in the table? That is what our children, that's why we send our children to school. You are the professional or as a parent, one may feel, you know, whether they're in a suburban area or a rural area or even an inner city area, what do I have to offer? Or I'm just busy. I have to work. Also, you know, educators may feel that parents are just in the way or they would have to work too hard to include the parents into the conversation um, for them to understand what is taking place or the strategies that are being discussed. And so with these questions and or scenarios that could possibly take place, I wondered why was it such a big deal on changing from parental involvement to parental engagement? And so I read an article written by Beth Harry and she quoted a researcher by the name of Reynolds who conducted um, a study in 2010 and she made a distinction in her work. 
in the following manner. She said the term involvement used in this work refers to school sanctioned, school authored activities in which parents participate. And so those are your parent teacher conference nights, your curriculum nights like science night, math night, your annual daddy daughter dance or your muffins with mom or donuts with dad type of activities. But the term engagement is conceptualized as encompassing those activities parents structure for themselves and their self-directed relational interactions with school officials. So for example, one would take an annual reading night, but have a parent at the table to discuss what are some strategies they use at home to support their child in reading. Furthermore, they would add additional parents to add their strategies, and then it will become like a network system so they can support one another. This is called parent engagement, and that will in turn lead to student success. So adapting this thinking around the language we use for parental collaboration helps parents place them in more of a empowering position at the school level. And so let's look and look at the latter part of the question I posed at the beginning of the podcast. If we want equity in our schools to promote positive parental involvement, we actually have to remove the biases that exist within our school systems. So for example, um, teachers may have, you know, preconceived notions about families. What do they believe a family structure should look like based off of their own individualized experiences? Or different family structures, um, they may have stereotypical views, you know, towards single parents or um, same gender parents, um, family structures. And so these biases will not allow for a true partnership to fully occur. So, for example, let's look at some data in 2015. The U.S. Department of Education reported that students with disabilities are twice as likely to be suspended as our students with disabilities. Black girls are also suspended at higher rates than girls of any other racial or ethnic group. Additionally, black students represent 16% of total student enrollment. However, they represent 27% of students referred to law enforcement and 31% of students subjected to school-related arrests. Let me bring that back. Let me read that one more time. Additionally, black students represent 16% of student enrollment. However, they represent 27% of students referred to law enforcement and 31% of students subjected to a school-related arrest. This is in comparison to their white counterparts, who comprise 51% of enrollment, 41% of law enforcement referrals, and 39% of those arrested. How is this going to promote positive school engagement in a large urban district? As educators, we need to reset the purpose of school. By by planning with our parents, our parents must be at the table. 
This begins at the pre-service teacher level. Also, educators need to ask, where's my starting point? Examining one's own culture is a productive start. But then it also is a matter of examining how one's culture, your experiences, interacts with that of the community in which one teaches. So for a fruitful examination to take place, educators must take the time to learn from families, learn about the communities from which they come, and then capitalize on their knowledge of their children in their classroom. Parents, I encourage you to become positive parents in the schools your children attend. Educators, I encourage you to look within yourself and do an introspective inventory on the implicit biases that exist within us that may hinder a positive parent partnership in our buildings. I do hope that you have enjoyed episode number four, season one of Possible Parent Podcasts. Everyone, enjoy your day.